Huge news, Swirlians. Massive news. Get ready because Ain't That Swell is absolutely frothing to announce Ocean and Earth as the official and exclusive hardware and accessories partner of the Swellians. Doesn't get any more core than the Sussex Inlet brand. It's been making the world's best leggies, surf hats, tie downs, repair kits, ponchos, wetty buckets, and board covers since 1979, mate. Whether it's down the road or over to Indo or into the far realms, just rinse that dot and soak yourself in core stoke. O&E has been there as part of the journey the entire way. Kicked off, of course, by Brian Cregan, uh, former touring pro who, along with Rabbit Bartholomew, Paul Nielsen, Harry Hodge and Brucey Raymond, was one of the original, iconic, band-on-the-run crew. Epic movie. Check it out if you haven't. But, uh, yeah, O&E was the brainchild that just allowed Brian to surf his entire life. And he has supported many of the core underground hellman heathen icons along the way. But uh, most notably in recent years, Owen and Tyler Wright, our boy Ryan Callanan, Russ Berserky Bjerky, Freddie Marais and Kanoa Igarashi, Mondo Extreme Looney Jughead Allport and Next Wave Flare Maestros Coda Walters and Lennox Smith. And if you want to get in behind an independently owned company run by surfers for surfers, now is the time to do it as we run into Chrissy. There is so much iconic stuff these guys have been making for so long. Their Surf Hats G-Land series, the Bingen series, the Indo Stiff Peak, they got board covers, coffins, and air cons, tough as guts, built to last, primo gear, and the world's best leggies, man. Like 1XT, the world's strongest leash, no joints, no weak points, 40% stronger. The one-piece leash's extruded cord design eliminates the molded end join, which is the weakest point in traditional leashes. Constructed using new production techniques, 8mm swivels, and a unique New formula in the urethane cord. This leash is superior in strength, stretch, and memory retention. They got softboards, mate. They got the lot. Just jump on the website, oceanandearth.com.au, and get your hardware sorted for Chrissy. It's a quality-tested Australian surf accessory company. Trusted products. Independently owned and run by surfers for surfers and selling to core retailers. Man, oh man, it's just so sick that the company that sponsored the original HB O&E Pro Junior and is still back in grommets, state titles, surfing New South Wales, etc., is on board with the Swellians, and we are frothing to be back in this partnership. Oceanandearth.com.au, exclusive hardware and accessories partner of the Swellians. Get on there now. Get your Chrissy started. What? Grom's got a new board? Get your leggy from Ocean and Earth. Need a coffin to travel? Get it from O&E, man. Crusty old demon and you need a surf hat? Bruh. O&E, bruh. I have a dream. My four little children one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. U.S. forces give the nod. It's the sad 
I'm talking about the real owners now. The big, wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. Politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table and figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers. People who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your social security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. If your dollar ain't shit, and it's tax to no end, calls a rich man, calls a rich man. Well, may we say God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor General. God save the Queen! The fascist regime! Boston is nothing like going to war with machine guns, bazookas, hang grenades, bomber airplanes. My intention is to box to win a clean fight. But in war, the intention is to kill, 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 and continue killing innocent people. Each time a man stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope and crossing each other from a million different centers of energy and daring. Those ripples build a current which can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. 
We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? There are many whites who are trying to solve the problem, but you never see them going under the label of liberals. That, that white person that you see calling himself a liberal is the most dangerous thing in the entire Western Hemisphere. He's the most deceitful. He's like a fox. And a fox is, almost, is always more dangerous in the forest than the wolf. You can see the wolf coming. You know what he's up to. But the fox will fool you. He comes at you with his mouth shaped in such a way that even though you see his teeth, you think he's smiling and taking for a friend. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who are driven by cowardly wokeness. And that's why psychos run the world. Because they don't give a fuck. They don't feel guilt. They don't give a shit. They'll fucking kill anybody. You know? And nice people, we should be killing them, but we don't because we can't deal with the guilt. Right? And what do psychos do? They stay in power by killing loud, nice people. Martin Luther King, loud, nice. I know he banged a bunch of broads. Who gives a fuck? Guy was fucking up there crushing it. If nice people start killing psychos, okay, maybe then you, you wouldn't have a swirl of trash the size of Texas in the middle of the fucking Pacific Ocean. Do we work on that now? Because there's psychos in the world, and all they end up doing is, is trying to keep improving golf equipment so these man-titted fucking cunts can keep a ball on the fairway. I put some dead in his eyes. Who you crawling Yes, socialists, sociopaths, communists, colonizers, capitalists, nihilists, and Nazis. Welcome to System Failure, a no-holds-barred exploration of the global fuckery that defines our time. Today we are joined by Palestinian refugee Subi Awad to figure out how best to fight the power and understand why it is in all our interests to do so. I met Subi at a protest for peace in the Middle East on the Gold Coast recently where he spoke exceptionally well about the history of Palestine, about the motives behind war and about the solutions to ending it. First and foremost, we must understand that this is not us against them. It's not Israel versus Palestine, it's war pigs powered by corporations in the military-industrial complex and fossil fuel industry, aided by a totally rotten mainstream media tweaking the narrative and turning us against one another. If it is us against them, it is us the people against the powerful, the bought-out politicians, the parasitic media elites, the perpetual growth model of capitalist corporations, and the time to step up and fight back is right this second. Here's how. Mate, you spoke so well at that Tweed rally the other day. Um, so, yeah, you got nothing to be nervous about. Uh, I guess that's a good place to start, really. Like, just uh, explain who you are and, and what your connection to this issue is. Um, I'm Palestinian. Uh, I was born a Palestinian refugee in Lebanon. Um, and I guess from, from that place, I've always been um, connected to the issue. Um, we, we emigrated to, well, we bounced around a little bit in Europe, and then we ended up in, in England. And so I, I kind of grew up there and, and was kind of, you know, grew up around that movement in, in England. 
Mm. Uh, interesting that you're, you're part of that Palestinian diaspora because uh, I was following a story the other day, one of the most awful stories that's come out of this war uh, as it pertains to people who are Palestinian living abroad. It was the uh, unbelievably horrific murder of a, a six-year-old Palestinian boy in Chicago who was uh, stabbed 26 times by his 71-year-old landlord while his mother was locked in the bathroom listening to it all unfold. Uh, just, uh, I don't there's not really words to to describe uh, what went down there, but I guess it just goes to show that even once you escape the horrors um, of the seemingly endless conflict in, in Gaza and the West Bank and flee to safety, you're still not safe. Well, actually, yeah, you know, the, the, these things I think are really linked to the demonization of Palestinian people. You know, like when politicians sort of act in shock and horror after these terrible events unfold, it's absolutely uh, ridiculous because, you know, they, they dehumanize Palestinians as 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 this kind of, you know, a terrible race that wants to wipe Jews off the map and 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 is murderous, just like the Nazis. And if if people hear that, then they will believe it. And if and if you believe that sort of thing, then 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 of course, you know these sorts of horrible incidents happen more and more. I mean, this is this is because of the the sort of um, real vilification of the Palestinian nation. Mm. And on the flip side of that, there's also been a uh, a sub- alleged, I guess, upturn in. Uh, anti-Semitism, you know, I was listening to a news report yesterday, a, a supposed 500% increase in, in anti-Semitism in Australia at the moment. And, um, you know, it, it, it's really hard to know whether these kinds of stats are true. I'm sure, I'm sure there has been, I'm sure there has been an uptick in, in, in anti-Semitism um, from certain sections uh, of the community but at the same time, it's very hard to trust at this point the mainstream media's coverage of this issue, um, knowing that the mainstream media in Australia, uh, you know, if you're a senior editor or a senior reporter in any of the major newspapers, <clears throat> you get flown to Israel on press junkets and uh, where they get the opportunity to carry influence and carry favour with you and, and, and hence you end up with this really warped, uh, kind of reportage of the plight of Israelis uh, or Israel, I should say, um, and the defense force and, um, and and Jews in general. I I, I don't, I, man. I hope there isn't an uptick in anti-Semitism. That's awful. I, I've you know had many Jewish friends over the years. I grew up in Bondi, like it's a, a hub of uh, you know the Jewish community. All <clears throat> fleeing World War Two. The five eight. My football team was a Jew. Like so. I hope uh, there isn't a lot of Jewish people out there suffering um, as a result of this conflict because, it, you know, it's not on them. There's many Jews who are in, in favor of Palestine uh, who just want peace. I mean, there definitely has been an upturn in, in anti-Semitism and it's awful. You know, like it, it, it's it's, you know, 
the, there are horrible people in the world and they do horrible things and they and they blame a group of people for things that they haven't done as you said you know i, I have uh, great connections with um beautiful uh, jewish uh, and israeli people and they are telling me of terrible things that that they're experiencing and it's absolutely awful um and 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 can never be condoned for 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 anything uh but um, yes, there, there is definitely a very one-sided narrative. Um, I think that the years of vilifying uh, Muslims in, in, in Afghanistan and Syria and, and all these places um, has definitely led to that. And I think now we're seeing um, th th such crazy vilification of, of Palestinian people that, that that's um, really increasing on, on the anti-Palestinian um, side, Islamophobia, all these things, you know. Um, and it's creating division and, and division helps certain politicians, you know, the, the ones that are that, that are going for sort of nationalist votes, you know. Um, and so we've we, we, we've seen a, a terrible increase in racism and it's absolutely awful, you know, that you can't fight for the rights of Palestinian people by taking away rights from any other people and, and vice versa. You know, we, 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 the only way to peace is when everybody has rights and nobody is discriminated against. And so we stand, you know, firmly behind our Jewish brothers and sisters and family, you know, in, in support of, of um, their, their rights and, and, and to fight anti-Semitism. And we, we urge them to stand behind us when they see stuff that isn't OK. We urge them to stand behind us and call it out in their communities, too. Yeah, well said. And I don't want to conflate those two issues, expressing my distrust over the mainstream media and the reporting of that uptick in, in anti-Semitism. Uh, they are actually separate, just to be clear. Uh, but yeah, it's a concern right now. The way this uh, conflict's being covered, there's been two pretty controversial open letters that have been signed by uh, journalists from major news organizations uh the new york times being one uh there was there was an open letter uh that, that was signed by a couple of employees of that publication regarding their coverage of the conflict and those two employees were sacked um and then uh in australia actually we had uh, a similar situation unfolding uh just over the last couple of days. Uh, I'm just going to try and bring it up here. Hold on. Oh, it's a bit garbled. But yeah, basically the same issue where we had uh, uh, a lot of employees of the Channel 9 News Network, which now owns, uh, I believe, The Age and the SMH. And uh, again, expressing their concern over lopsided coverage of this issue, um, which, as I mentioned, is the result of uh, the Israeli government currying favor with journalists via these press junkets and, and stuff like that. And, and that was um, that concern was relayed by uh, Michael West, the investigative journalist uh, who's got a great bit on YouTube about how it really works behind the scenes there at these media organizations with um, the, the coverage and, and the influence that the Israeli government has over journalists in this country and, and politicians for that matter. But uh, yeah, so can you, I saw you speak at that Tweed protest recently, you know, can you share some of what you told us that day? Yeah. I mean, um, 
you know at, at that pro at that protest i was really wanting to direct my message to the australian government more than in, anything um and it was really about um you know the 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 minimum levels of of moral decency i i, I would put it in a place like Gaza, with with that sort of level of bombing, I mean, Israel has reportedly dropped twenty five thousand tons of explosives on Gaza. That works out as sixty six tons of explosives per kilometer. You know, the devastation we're seeing there is at a at a sort of industrial level. I mean, two Hiroshima bombs. Um, it's a tiny place. Um, so the the idea that um that level of carnage and slaughter could ever be justified um directed mostly at a civilian population um is is just totally immoral and so really our point was palestinian innocent lives are just as important as israeli innocent lives and to think of it any other way is um not only immoral but actually um, really corrupt, like at a fundamental level. Um, so really, the message was that that all lives are equal, and and we cannot abhor the killing of one set of people and then justify the killing of another set of people. That's a totally wrong position, and I feel that um, you know perhaps it it needed to be told in a really strong way that you're doing this on purpose, and it's absolutely morally bankrupt. Mm. Absolutely. And you also shared uh, some interesting history from Palestine that I think a lot of people aren't aware of, and you certainly wouldn't be aware of if you were following the mainstream news coverage of this issue. Uh, and that is just the the kind of secular society that Palestine is. I mean, a lot of people associate Palestine with Hamas, this hardline Islamic organization uh, and, and hardline Islam and, and terrorism and, and these kinds of things. Uh, and that's a product of the, the lopsided coverage. But in fact, uh, it's a very different society to that. Can you share a bit of that history? Well, yeah, uh, Palestinians, um, you know, obviously uh, from the Holy Land are an indigenous population of the Holy Land. Um, the DNA of Palestinians is the closest to the, the Semites of the, the Bible and the Torah. And, and so we have a, a deep connection and history to that land. But more than that, it's, it's a melting pot of all the religions, uh, the, you know, the main three religions in that area. So we've had holy pilgrims coming. We've had crusaders. We've got Christians, Muslims and Jews. And we have a very distinct identity. We're not the same as Jordanians or, or you know. And the, the, the sort of Israeli propaganda that we're just some random Arabs without any country, that sort of thing. It's it's ridiculous. Actually, of Palestinians, of, of all the Palestinians, ones living in, in Palestine and Gaza, the ones living in refugee camps around um, Israel and the ones in the general diaspora like me, um, it's estimated 10 to 15 percent of us are, are Christian. Um, and that's because we are a different mix of people because we're from the Holy Land, you know, and, and a native and indigenous to that area and, and, and should be given indigenous rights. And so fast forward to, to, to the present and Hamas is dominating Gaza and the, you know, both the terrorist faction and the political faction. Um, you know, 
what's your take on Hamas? Uh, I, I assume you, you have friends and family still in Palestine. What is their take on Hamas? Um, yeah, like how legitimate are they and and, and do they really represent uh, Palestinian people? Hamas was was Hamas is a funny thing because the guy who started it, Yasin, was was like a, a, a sort of half blind, crippled cleric, you know, and he wrote that awful uh, anti-Semitic charter, you know, and it is a terrible thing. And, and of course, Hamas didn't didn't really flourish under that, of course, because Palestinians were like, well, who are these crazy people like? What you want to wipe Israel up? Well, you're going to do it with like stones and rockets against the nuclear power. You know, it was a thing that that you know very few people wanted to support. And Hamas is it really grew because Israel allowed it to 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 gain charity status. They actually gave it charity status and funded it. Yes, absolutely. You they, know, they they completely orchestrated the the beginnings of of that organization, and and that was in the last episode of system failure, we charted that the history of Hamas and uh, Israel's role in uh, getting them to power uh, as a, as a offset to the Palestinian authority who wanted a, a two state solution, who were the, the peaceful uh, kind of operators in that Palestinian political paradigm. Uh, and I guess Israel preferred uh, to have uh, an excuse in, in Hamas um, for this kind of offensive military activity, something like that. Absolutely, I think so. But but I think things may you know sort of changed in two thousand and four. Uh, in two thousand and four, Yasin was assassinated as he came out of a mosque, and lots of people around got killed too. They just dropped a, a missile, and so when that happened, um, Hamas seemed to change to the Palestinian population. The first thing they they did afterwards was they sent a peace proposal to Israel in two thousand and four. Um, and then in 2006, they um, they brought out their manifesto, which was for, you know, the, the election. So now they've become a real political party. Um, and their manifesto's central uh, point was to make peace with Israel along 1967 borders uh, as, as the unity government would have wanted. So just joining the general consensus of the Palestinian nation, making peace with Israel. And, where, and and that's why they were elected. They would never have been elected if they had said, oh, we want to wipe out Israel. No, no one believes that. I mean, that's the stupidest plan, right? You know, and a, a nation with no army is going to wipe out this nuclear power. Like, it's stupid, right? But when they said, we want to make peace, Palestinians were like, oh, okay, what's going on here? And then they sent, when they got elected, they sent that peace proposal to Israel. And Israel rejected it and started a bloody coup against them. Um, and, and, and they fought it off. And, and then Israel, you know, started the blockade, which has killed more people than the bombs uh, until now um, and caused abject misery. Um, and, and Hamas has stuck to that position of, of, uh, of peace along 1967 borders and repeatedly offered that to Israel. Um, Israel's always turned it down. So, you know, to, to the Palestinian people, we kind of not sure what to make of Hamas because they're this crazy and they change their charter. Everyone says, you know, that, that, that they, they want to kill Jews in their charter. No, they change their charter and their charter, even though it does not accept Israel. I mean, Israel doesn't accept Palestine. So it, it, it's starting from an equal position. Um, but 
but their their charter does not call for the for the killing of Jews. It does not call for you know wiping out out people or anything anti-Semitic in it. So you know it's confusing Hamas. Like like on one side you you, you, you they seem to be acting like a like a legitimate resistance movement, and and on the other hand they're these like really far out you know, Muslim, Islamist people that you don't want to be in control of your country. But but the problem is that the, the PA was seen by a lot of Palestinians as a stooge of the occupation. And, and a lot of people have this choice where it's either, oh, we vote for the stooge of, of the occupation, the PA, or we vote for these crazy, like radical people who we don't view as corrupt, but are, are like kind of crazy, you know. So it, it was really difficult for the Palestinian nation. It was like this voting for the lesser of two evils. And, and we all know about the voting for lesser of two evils, you know. And, and this thing that the charter just means that, that they're mass murderers is, I mean, I don't know what's in the charter for the Greens Party or the Labour Party. Who reads that, right? You read what they say they're going to do when they get elected, you know, right? So that's what we all vote for. They say they're going to make peace. They seem to be, uh, uh, you know, not a corrupt party like the PA. And and so the, the, the Palestinian nation took a chance on them, you know, and, and, and that's where we find ourselves now. Um, and, and, and of course, we wish we hadn't, because look at this, you know, what's happening. But in hindsight, hindsight's a great thing, you know, it, it, it's, but it's very difficult to, to know who to vote for with such terrible candidates. Mm. Another less reported uh, part of this this conflict is Gaza's gas reserves, uh, which I think are, are worth in the you know in the billions of dollars. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? I know that uh, you're you're active in this kind of fossil fuel space uh, with regards activism and and stuff like that. What do you know about Gaza's gas reserves and and how that's factored into this conflict? Um. Well, it, it, it does seem to be um, something that is worth many, many billions of dollars. And, um, and Israel is very resource poor. You know, Israel is not a country that, that has its own uh, gas and, and has to import gas from, you know, places like Egypt and, 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 and all around from Saudi Arabia and, and stuff. So um, it's doubly precious to Israel. Uh, and and wars have been fought for much less than this, you know, much less than that much gas. Uh, so you know, the idea that Israel w would leave that much gas on the on, 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 that much money on the table in a way, um, and not go after it is is, um, is 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 probably unlikely. And and it's said that Hamas would never allow that gas to be taken. In other words, that they would attack the gas refineries if if they they put them there. And Hezbollah has said the same. There's there's big gas off Lebanon, and uh, and they've said if Israel tries to tap that, that they would attack that. So you can see that taking that gas means eliminating eliminating Hamas. Um, so yeah, the, the, it could be that these things are, are, are tied. It, it also could be that, that that they're not that they were a problem for the future, and and it, that hasn't happened yet. So it's really hard to to know exactly. But yes, I, I can't imagine Israel would leave that much money just sitting there. Mm. Mm. Uh, and, and just to be clear, this is exactly what we're talking about. This is from Reuters. Uh, so 
while Egypt and Israel have been producing gas in the eastern Mediterranean for years, the Gaza marine field, about 30 kilometers off the Gaza coast, has remained undeveloped due to political disputes and conflict with Israel, as well as economic factors. Gaza Marine is estimated to hold over 1 trillion cubic feet of natural gas, much more than is needed to power the Palestinian territories and some of which could potentially be exported. The Palestinian Authority did not immediately respond to a request for comment. This uh, article is a little bit old. We are waiting to know what exactly the Israelis have, have agreed to in details. We can't make a position based on a statement to the media, one Palestinian official told Reuters. Hamas official Ismail Rudwan told Reuters, we affirm that our people in Gaza have the rights to their natural resources. Um, and then there's this from uh, Colonel Reuven Gal, a former chief psychologist of the Israeli Defense Force and a deputy national security advisor. Um, he said, although it is legally under the jurisdiction of the Palestinian Authority as a result of the Oslo Accords, Israeli forces have prevented Palestinians' physical access to the offshore region and its resources. The Prime Minister's office said in a statement, um, this is the Israeli Prime Minister's office, oh, there's a frog, sorry, there's a frog piping up. Shut up! <laughs> yeah, there he goes. Can you hear that? Anyway, the Israeli Prime Minister's office said in a statement, in the framework in, in, in the framework of the existing efforts between the state of Israel, Egypt, and the Palestinian Authority, with emphasis on Palestinian economic development and maintaining security stability in the region, it has been decided to develop the Gaza marine gas field off the coast of Gaza. Israel seeks to maintain the security and diplomatic interests of the state of Israel on the matter. So there was an agreement here uh, prior to the outbreak of war that uh, Israel and Palestine would develop this gas field uh, together. The Hamas leadership should be persuaded to surrender unconditionally so that the Gazan people follow suit. Then a carefully selected new leadership, not Hamas, with Israel's approval and international OECD support should undertake the renewal of Gaza marine gas exploitation. Gaza would be allowed to join a regional trade alliance involving Saudi Arabia, Egypt, the US, the UK, and others. Egypt would play a prominent role because it now supplies liquefied natural gas to Europe instead of Russia due to the Ukraine war. So that retired colonel is essentially saying Hamas should surrender and, and therefore um, that, that gas project can continue. And it's, and it's, um, it's striking that he said a carefully selected government by Israel in that, you know, mm. because that's, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's so open, you know, the idea that the PA can be an independent um, government under hostile military occupation. You know, that, that's a thing that we haven't really seen before. When Whenever there's a hostile military occupation, you get a stooge of that occupation. You, you never get a, an independent, a truly independent government that has the interests of its people at heart. And so what you're seeing here is like a, an economic colonization of the gas field, um, as we've seen in many countries around the world. You know, so, you know, a stooge government gets put in and then the, the, the resources of that country are taken away. 
and that's the model that they're proposing um, for the exploitation of the gas, you know. So the idea that Hamas should join a a a you know a group of basically traitors who want to you know sell off the Palestinian resources it, um, does stink of, of of you know colonial exploitation in, in, on a scale seen you know all over South America, all over Africa, um, and 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 you know that that sort of all over you know Asia. So you know that that's what they're saying you you let us exploit your oil and 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 great you know that, that, that that's great you can have a, a a tiny offering from the table you know and that's that's the plan you know surrender and and we might give the gaza people a tiny bit of this oil revenue yeah that that pattern has been seen so many times throughout the world uh at the behest of America and the CIA and, you know, British, European uh, intelligence agencies overthrowing governments, installing uh, puppet dictators who then open the door to resource extraction, as you mentioned. It's such a good point. And this is uh, precisely one of the reasons Osama bin Laden listed uh, in his letter to America as justification for 9-11. It, it, it was this. And, and that, like, it was... The, the theft of, of oil um, from various Arab states. And uh, that was, we, we read the transcript to that on, on the last program uh, that went viral, obviously on, on TikTok uh, a week or two ago. So yeah, you don't ever hear this information in the Western media capitalist corporate paradigm where these exact uh, petrochemical and fossil fuel companies are so active in, in owning the media and influencing the media. You just don't get this narrative, do you? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, for, for someone like me, I guess I had a head start because as a child, I, I could see what was happening, um, you know, in Lebanon and, and you know, uh, firsthand. And then I, I could see the news and I knew they were lying, you know, even as a child. So, that that sort of pattern is is um, ongoing. I worked in news broadcasting for a while um, for a company called um, NBC, which um, is an Arabic channel, very much like NBC, um, and it goes out all over the world and has massive, massive uh, viewing. Does English uh, as well. Um, and I remember sitting in the studio, and and you can see the raw Reuters and Bloomberg stories coming in on one end, um, and of course we 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 you know i'm mixing stuff and um and i'm looking at this story and it's about a palestinian child who um was shot by an israeli sniper while on the steps of his own home eating a sandwich like just you know no danger to anyone and following that there was a massive demonstration in ramallah um to to protest against this like just killing you know um and the the tv station that i worked for uh, the news item on that said, today there was a riot in Ramallah and one Palestinian was killed. Okay, right. So that's factually correct, but a complete lie, right? It, it, it makes the aggressor, these like riotous Palestinians. And of course, uh, as, a, as a consequence of their riot, a, a Palestinian was killed. Not a Palestinian child was shot by a sniper. And then there was this thing. And I also remember as, as a young person going to poll tax, you know, demonstrations and demonstrations about black deaths in custody and 
all those things and and seeing how misrepresented we were there was one where we were kind of kettled by this massive police presence and all the side roads were closed so we couldn't go anywhere you know and you can't turn and march back there's people like all the way back there they don't know what's going on and we're all getting crushed and then the police just decided to like kind of just just go for us they just moved forward man like crushed us there was people running away and and on the news that night they showed a shot of people running towards the camera and then they showed a shot of police fighting with demonstrators so it looks like we had charged the police lines you know and this is bbc like the main stations you know and really it really cemented my idea that that journalism and and, and media has really become a tool of um, a, a tool for power and and of course activists have been saying that for years but it was so blatant and I think it's so blatant now you know like the the distortion of what's going on now is so blatant you know is so obvious that the, the 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 story is so twisted and I think people need to realize that if you can't see that journalists don't have a diff- just don't have a different point of view no they're trying to get across a very strong po- uh, propaganda position Another thing I learned working in broadcasting is the idea that it that, that news is about information. Um, news is a product as well as propaganda. And the idea is to engage and sell as much soap as possible, of course, as well. And the idea to do that is to, to elicit an emotional reaction from your viewer, you know, because uh, emotions work way better than information. And the two emotions, I mean, the journalist was so open telling me all this, you know, um, the, the emotions that work really, really well are outrage and fear. They're the best ones, right? If you can elicit outrage and fear from your audience, right, you're off to a good start, you know? And, and so you see this kind of, in, in social media, it's clickbait. In, in, uh, in, in TV, it's like sensationalism and, and twisting of the story. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's so blatant, especially right now. Oh man, the moment the media stoops so low as to depend on these emotional responses uh, to generate revenue, we were all fucked. Like, because the media is so important in this kind of information is so important. It's how we make sense of the world and, and then vote. And, and it's, it's like the, the most fundamental instrument to democracy uh, is good information I mean, I'm tempted to ask what the solution is to, uh, when confronted with a, a mainstream media that's so rancid and, and corrupt, but I already know what it is. It, it's to step into the space of podcasts where we have these independent actors in long form scenarios, um, able to convey exactly what we're talking about now. Glad you brought up the BBC because uh, there was an in- there's a really interesting guy active on instagram carrick ryan um who is i don't know if you followed this guy but he's a a former australian federal agent um and and he just offers really sober balanced analysis uh of of a conflict like this and other issues but he's been great on this conflict um and he mentioned he signaled out the the bbc for airing an interview with a released palestinian prisoner with an overdubbed translation from Arabic to English. Uh, however, this is quoting from uh, Carrick. However, Arabic speakers soon picked up that the translation was incredibly inaccurate. 
in particular, a seemingly entire invented reference to Hamas was aired. Uh, saving money on poor quality translators will undoubtedly exacerbate mistrust of media in a war where the truth is getting increasingly difficult to define. So I'll just read out uh, the, the the correct translation versus the erroneous translation rendered by the BBC. Uh, the Israeli occupation forces, so this is the correct translation, the Israeli occupation forces came at 10 a.m. telling us that there would be a deal and then they imprisoned us. They've imprisoned us for a month. BBC, the Israelis came at 10 in the morning and told us that there was a deal. Uh, we were suffering from difficult circumstances. Correct translation, they are firing, throwing tear gas at us. BBC, and tear gas was fired at us. Correct translation, we female prisoners are living under constant humiliation. We keep veiled 24-7. Nobody knows anyone. BBC translation, we were wearing head covers all the time. Correct translation, prisoners with mental health issues are being treated mercilessly in the same way as healthy prisoners, being tortured and humiliated, leading to their collapse. BBC translation, the situation was humiliating and included physiological torture in addition to cutting off the electricity for the prisoners. Correct translation, nobody helps or supports anyone. BBC, we were suffering from the cold without the electricity. Correct. They've imprisoned us for a month. As winter came, they cut off the electricity. We almost died from the cold weather. BBC translation. And no one helped us. Only Hamas cared. Those who felt our suffering, I thank them very much. Correct translation. They sprayed us with pepper spray and left us to die inside the prison. BBC translation. And we love them very much. Oh. Fucking baffling. Well, that's it's, crazy it's, shit. I've got a, I've got a bunch of mates who work at the BBC. Um, th th they've told me that um, a, a many of the left wing or more balanced people have been let go, and a lot of the leadership and key positions have been filled in the last decade or so with extremely right wing actors, and the BBC has shifted like super far to the right in a, in a in a short space of time um it's not a mistake that we're seeing the bbc act like you know fox news or worse you know it's actually become um a, a ridiculous mouthpiece of very very right wing people and the repression in the bbc is is gone off the charts so what does bbc stand for is it bourgeois british corporation or British bourgeois broadcasting corporation. Absolutely. It's, it's bougie to the max, dude. Like, <laughs> oh my God, it is seriously stuck up. Honestly. Um, you, you know, that old school, what tie did you used to wear? You know, like my dad, uh, you know, is, is, is your second helicopter free? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's similar to the ABC here, you know, they make sure to, uh, hire people from various uh, kind of uh, token ethnic or um, sexual orientations, but class never registers a mention in the hallways of these these media, uh, these government media empires. Uh, and interesting to note too, like the BBC, both Israel 
and the BBC were essentially set up by the same people, right? That being the British government. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and what's really important to know is that um, the British didn't just wash their hands of Palestine like they sort of claim. They actively armed the Jewish immigration side, knowing their character, um, and they very actively disarmed the Palestinian population. Um, and they set up a deal that the Palestinian leadership were bound to reject. This is the thing Israel always says, oh, you know, they, they didn't accept the deal because they hate all Jews and they want to kill Jews. No, right? Like the deal offered to, to the Palestinian people, really driven by the British, um, was to give, you know, 30% of, of, of the people, the, the Jewish immigrants, who'd, who'd just come over recently, very, very, very recently, um, they wanted to give them 56% of the land. And the Jewish uh, ownership of the land was only 6%. 6% of private land was owned by Jewish people. You know, the rest, the 94% of private land was owned by Palestinians, farmers, shopkeepers, you know, the idea that you could give 30% of the people, 56% um, of the land um, was never going to be acceptable by the, 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 the Palestinian nation. And, and they, they, they rightly turned it down. And what happened is the other nations around, you know, Israelis also, oh, and then they attacked us with these, you know, five nations. And no, the ethnic cleansing started in 1947, not 1948, with 200 massacres, 200 massacres and carefully planned, high level orchestration integrated with the Zionist leadership. In fact, these terrorists became, you know, prime ministers and, 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 and generals of the Israeli state. And, and they've continued and become, their party has continued and become Likud. So, you know, this idea, and, and the, the Arab nations around said, you need to make a deal that's acceptable to the Palestinian people, or we'll come to the aid of the Palestinian people. And, and as the ethnic cleansing started, and all this horrible pogrom after pogrom, and people being driven off their lands, those Arab states were, were compelled to try and come and stop this terrible event happening, the Nakba. So this propaganda, you know, is it's awful. Uh, it's not believable, and and no leader would have the mandate to give fifty six percent of their country to people who just arrived and owned almost nothing. So, you know, I've gone a bit off your question, but yeah, the 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 idea is that that it's it's um, yeah, I'm a bit lost, but yeah, the idea is that that it's not this this mass thing where we we won't make peace and we we reject everything. Mm. I feel sorry for Israelis because when I look at it, uh, going back to 47, 48, you know, on the backside of the Holocaust and, and this awful, just indescribably horrific persecution of Jews, they then seem to get used as pawns by uh, the British uh, to, to, to occupy a, a, and set up a colony that preserves European and subsequently American interests in the Middle East. It's like, that, that's a, that's a freaking, that, that, that's a, it's a hard one to, to win. You know, that's a hard situation to be put in. Like it, it seemed like such a great deal at the time. Yeah. You're going to get to occupy uh, your Holy land, this special place. We're going to make it uh, comfortable and, and livable and, and, and give you um, the authority and, and arms you need to protect yourself and live a, a happy peaceful life where you can heal and recover from the trauma of the the genocide that occurred but they, they've put them in the middle 
firstly, they had to clear people off that land and then they've put them in a middle, in the middle of all these hostile States. Oh man. Like how, how terrifying that is to, to live that existence. And, and that is the existence of, of Israeli people. And they are, you know, not only are they dealing with the intergenerational trauma of, of world war two, which must be so virulent, just, just even, take away the, the ongoing conflict and state of perpetual state of war that they're in just dealing with the, the trauma of having parents um, who were survivors of these concentration camps. Um, man, that is a, just a rough deal. And then to be dropped in just this vat of war and hostility, mate, I, yeah, I, I really feel for, for the Israeli people. And, and there are so many that, that just want to live peaceful lives, not fight wars. I mean, we saw in the lead up to the outbreak of war, there was like tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people on the streets protesting against Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for increasingly, you know, fascist leaning reforms of judicial controls. And uh, I imagine too, like a, a big part of that, pushback against Netanyahu was how aggressive he was being on the West bank. And, and they, they know in Israel that you, you don't fucking poke the beehive, man. Like what, what a fucking stupid thing to do. You, you're putting all of us at, in jeopardy and, and, and look what's happened now. And also learning uh, that, you know, so many of the people slaughtered by Hamas in that attack in Kibbutz Beri, Kibbutz Beri is like one of the most peace loving kibbutzes in Israel that they've, uh, donated tens of thousands of dollars um, to making peace and, and getting you know Palestinians to Israeli hospitals. They were one of the most uh, kind of yeah aggressive in terms of seeking out a peaceful solution. And, and and those were the people that were attacked in this in this situation. And I, I do wonder whether you know it's very convenient for Netanyahu to have uh, have lost the the greatest enemies. Uh, within his own government in the process of giving him an excuse to then go and, uh, you know, bomb Gaza into the stone age. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more with, with what you've said there. Look, the, the, there are incredible Israelis, even if they believe in the occupation, there are incredible people, even if they have a different opinion to us, you know, we're all a product of us of our our narrative. We we make decisions depending on what we believe in and what we think is true. Um, and, and to a lot of Israelis, um, they honestly believe that the Palestinian nation wants to kill them all. I mean, it's 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 a fundamental part of their decision making. Um, and you know, to to someone like me, it's ridiculous, right? Um, because I've never, ever in my life, ever, ever, ever met a Palestinian that says we should kill all the Jews and we should fight for Tel Aviv. You know, it's, I've never met one. I know there are crazy terrorists who say that, but I've never, ever met one a human who, say, who even thinks that, that, that that's a thing. But this thing is really real to some Israelis. You know, I know a, a, a friend who I count as a friend now, but he's extremely right wing from from the like what I would call a supremacist terrorist carnist organization. Okay. And he genuinely believes that we want to kill them all. Okay. But he's a great human, because he looks after so many people and he, he helps, you know, 
black Jew people, Jewish people in Israel, and he he does this great peace thing, and you know. So the idea that we we will judge a person just because of their narrative, it's not fair. You know, there are great Israelis who 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 believe in the occupation just because they can't examine their, their ideas properly. Look, and there are so many incredible Jewish people and, and Israeli people who are doing so much work for peace, putting their bodies on the line, helping Palestinian farmers at, under attack by settlers. Um, going to jail for not serving, like, you know, th th there are incredible people in that movement. And also they have a an amazing history of fighting for social justice, for black people in, 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 in the USA, for, for uh, uh, the, uh, with the ANC in South Africa, like this beautiful heritage of, of supporting social justice. Um, and that heritage hasn't gone. It's a very strong and, and, and we salute them for that because it, there's so many doing incredible work. Um, that's the, the main thing to remember is we're just a product of our, of our upbringing most of the time. And it's really hard to break free of that. Um, and making enemies of somebody on the other side is, is a dumb thing to do. We, we, we oppose the policies of the Israeli state. We, we are not enemies of the Israeli people and, and we want to build connections with the Israeli people. In fact, on Saturday after the, um, the school strike rally, I'm going to a mediation thing with um, held by an Israeli man who's, who's um, you know, trying to promote this peaceful trauma healing dialogue um, between Palestinians and Israelis. So, you know, there are incredible people trying to bridge gaps and do and do amazing things. And, and you know, we oppose the state, not the people. I think that's that's the most important thing um, to remember. And and also, you know, yes, uh, um, you know, Hamas is is valuable to Israel um, in terms of having an enemy. But to be honest, it, this Likud party, the, the these fascists, as you call them, and they absolutely are. They, they call themselves fascists openly. Um, are uh, uh, or some of them uh, are their aim is is to take all of the land you know and it always has been um so the idea that they that they that they need an enemy or an excuse to do it is is valid but mm. i think that they'll find one anyway they'll create one anyway so yes it's it's you know hamas is valuable to them in terms of you know aggression and fighting and taking more land but I think they'll be able to do it with or without. You know, Hamas didn't used to exist back then, but they're still doing it. They'll just find a way. <clears throat> yeah, it's hard not to lapse into conspiratorial thinking. And uh, when you think about just the fact that this government, they were on the way out before this war broke out. And, and there's now, you know, I read a Financial Times report that, that said that they were warned of this attack weeks earlier. Um, they, they knew something was coming and, it, it, it's hard it's hard not to to start to think that this has just worked out so perfectly for a government that was clearly about to be ousted um if not by uh, a democratic result then by like a popular uprising on the streets like unprecedented scenes in israel uh and and that to me speaks volumes for the the will of the israeli people that they'd had a gut full of, of these these you know essentially Nazis uh, running their country and that, that they were, that the, the Likud party um, was jeopardizing the stability and, and safety and peace of the entire region. And, and, and they were, they were marching to get rid of them. And then all of a sudden 
this terrorist attack happens that the Israeli government had been warned was coming. Uh, and those protests, obviously, they're finished completely. I've seen Orthodox Jews, videos of Orthodox Jews protesting against uh, the indiscriminate bombing of Israelis, uh, of Palestinians, sorry, getting just beaten mercilessly by Israeli police in the streets of Israel. Um, so, like, good luck protesting against the government in a time of war. They'll literally just beat you and lock you up. Um, the Palestinian experience. We've been dealing with this level of um, <clears throat> this crushing level of of violence for no, uh, you know, nonviolent protests that we do for decades, you know, and now the you know the is the Israeli government has grown so fascist um, that it's doing it to its own people, and 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 it's only now they're paying attention, you know. You know, when all those hundred thousands of people marched against Netanyahu, no one was standing up for the Palestinians or so few of that number was looking at the real elephant in the room. You know, they were saying, oh, look, they're breaking our democracy. Right. But as a Palestinian, I'm here to tell you, you don't have a democracy. Apartheid is not a democracy. OK, when you have to lock up half of the population in your country, away when you vote and they're not allowed to or the ones that are allowed to are only a small cross-section so they can't affect your democracy democracy you're apartheid right when all those hundred thousand people were, were were marching and and saying oh you're destroying our democracy no one was talking about the real problem which is there isn't a democracy you've got a fascist state that is that is um that is imposing apartheid on half of your population Right. And this is the problem in Israel. And this is why Palestinians will look at this and say, well, really, do you really want democracy? Because if you do, we'll join you and oust Netanyahu. Right. You know, but there was nothing like that. There was no invite for us to help um, make an alliance to, to oust Netanyahu. No, it was like, this is our democracy. And it's very telling. OK, but yes, Netanyahu, every time he's down in the polls, just before he there's always a war or a flare up in the conflict it's been a pattern all the way through his his leadership you know so many times people were saying oh my god he's going to be out thank god look how far down in the polls he is and every time there's been this like massive flare up this massive war and he's got back in so it, it's it's you know it's not just one time it keeps happening all the time and and, and obviously we don't have proof of anything but it does it does seem ridiculously convenient. Mm, yeah. And, and the Israeli Secret Service, Mossad, are among the most conniving. And, uh, yeah, you know, you, you know that they're, they're in the corner of the Likud party. You know that they're the descendants of that original uh, 1948 group of armed settlers uh, looking to seize land. And, yeah, it, uh, it's all it's always going to be almost impossible to prove um that they're, they're so sophisticated they, they have the full backing and resources of this cutting edge uh in american surveillance and military technology uh, much of which is tested uh on palestinians uh, first it's like a, a little petri dish for the military industrial complex down there uh and, and you mentioned uh, how many people have been locked up or prevented from protesting uh, who are Palestinian. 
right now we're seeing the release of a, a lot of these political prisoners. It, it's part of this uh, this truce, this ceasefire, this exchange of uh, hostages that Hamas took for Palestinian uh, prisoners. And, and this narrative, again, is being manipulated. Um, I see uh, that American uh, Jewish comedian uh, michael rapaport um who is just uh, he's a famous guy he's been in a lot of american films he's got a huge social media following and he is a, a raging zionist just ranting uh about the fact that the palestinians being released from prison uh, uh are criminals and the the hostages uh, being released by hamas are innocent people hostages and this is uh inaccurate to say the least. And I'm just going to read a little bit from uh, a Democracy Now! report and I recommend everyone get their news from Democracy Now! Um, they're, they're a quality independent organization funded by donations. Um, so here's what Democracy Now! had to say about this um, political prisoner for hostage exchange. Israel routinely arrests and, and detains, sometimes indefinitely, Palestinians on allegations of, uh, air quotes, terrorism. Thousands of Palestinians are currently held in prisons today, including for alleged acts like throwing stones at occupation soldiers or raising a Palestinian flag. Some of these prisoners have now been released by Israel in exchange for hostages captured by Hamas on October 7. Um, so here, here, here's the breakdown by the numbers. More than 7,000 Palestinian political prisoners are incarcerated in Israeli prisons. Approximately 30% of Palestinian political prisoners are held in administrative detention or indefinite incarceration without charge or trial. 200 children are among the Palestinian political prisoners incarcerated by Israel. Approximately 700 Palestinians have been deemed missing and likely detained in occupation prisons since October 7. At least six Palestinians have died in Israeli detention since October 7, when the terrorist attacks took place. At least 112 Palestinians have been arrested since the beginning of the temporary truce between Israel and Hamas. Yeah, and, and uh, of the 300 people released, um, I think the number is 124 of them were children. Um, I think a further... 140 odd were children when they were arrested or the majority of them were children when they were arrested or were children when they were arrested i think it's a really ridiculously large number uh, among them is a, is a 15 year old girl um and they some of them uh, a very large number 200 or so to more than 200 were never charged of anything so um prisoner is the wrong term okay this 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 narrative of one side are you know th these sort of innocent hostages and the other side are not innocent is is totally untrue one of the people released um a, a lady was a a 16 year old when it happened settlers came up to her and started ripping her hijab off and she was trying to stop them do it doing it and they arrested her and put her in jail for like 12 year sentence or something like it's crazy you know the repression we get the idea that the israeli occupation forces never take hostages is 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 being blown away by testimony after testimony after testimony if they want you and they can't get you quite often they'll just take a member of your family until you surrender 
You know, that is a thing that happens and, and has been reported by Amnesty, the, the, the torture of people's children, um, sometimes in front of them. So you can watch your child being tortured. That's hostages. That is that is absolutely hostages. When Israeli troops take 14 year olds and tie them to the front of their vehicles, chain them to the front of their vehicles, that's human shields. You know, this narrative that only Palestinian side take hostages and the Israeli side never do is absolutely not true. Um, look, the, the Israeli side has arrested more people. We view that as taking hostages, okay? Um, since October the 7th, um, for no charge than, than the Palestinian nation has ever taken in Israel. We view every time they come in and they snatch a child from their home and take him off and torture them, and 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 try to break their will okay we view that as kidnapping and hostage taking okay let's call it what it is this colonial language is not okay right the 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 level of abuse and and kidnapping and hostage taking from the israeli occupation okay is is way more than the Palestinian population. And the idea that Israel cares about these hostages that have been taken, like really cares about, like makes policy to change to, it's rubbish. They they killed so many of them trying to return to Gaza. And they've, they've bombed Gaza so much that they're bound to have killed so many of the hostages, okay? The, the hostages is, is, is a thing that is being used as as a kind of shock factor to, to, to justify the war. You know, the, this thing where one side is allowed to take hostages, but the other side is not, is not tenable, okay? If, if, if the Palestinian nation were allowed to attack Israel every time it took a hostage or kidnapped a child, you know, then, then we'd be in war all the time because they do that all the time. I think it's really important to, that, that one side aren't hostages and the other side are political prisoners. They're either both political prisoners, okay? Or they're both hostages. Mm, it's a good point. And, and it's so easy to see how these situations would unfold in places like the West Bank. I mean, there's just so many factors contributing to hostility there. Uh, you know, for starters, it's stinking hot. Uh, you've got uh, these Israeli, uh, you know, these young uh, service men and women who are, have been conscripted uh, often as teenagers, uh, they're standing around with machine guns in, in, in flak jackets. Um, there's, there, there's young Palestinian youth, uh, you know, obviously very aware of the, the persecution and, and not even, let's not even say persecution. Let's, let's use more neutral language. Just, just the, the sheer hostility between these two groups. And I think of myself as a teenager and as a young man, and I think of how I would have behaved in an environment like that. Uh, with a bunch of people um, from the other side say, you know, it, it could be in Australian terms, it could be the next suburb over um, the, the different, you know, there was all these provincial fucking uh, hoodlum hooligan activity when I was growing up. Uh, and I, I just picture them with guns and, and, and tell, and telling me what to do and, and how to live and, and, and how to function. And I imagine my response, you know, I, I would have told those people to, to get to fuck and, and, and beat it. You, you scabs like, and then it, it it just flows on from there. You got teenagers and people in their early twenties with guns uh, versus hostile youths. So what's going to unfold there? Well, it's going to be conflict, and who's going to lose out in that conflict? Well, definitely the the people without the machine guns and flak jackets. And 
the you know social media channels are full of footage of uh, uh, super aggressive uh, Israeli soldiers rounding up young Palestinian men generally. Uh, and you know, there's constant reports of, of youths being shot dead uh, in the streets uh, over who knows, maybe they threw a rock, maybe they threw a firework, whatever, just the, the, the basic kind of uh, uh, irritation of Israeli soldiers that a lot of these Palestinian youths are carrying out are, are met with force. And it's just this awful situation. There's it, so much hate and anger and uh, of course, those kids are going to end up locked up. Like, I mean, you see a similar dynamic here with our indigenous population and the police, almost identical. And, and you see similar numbers of incarceration in this country uh, with in indigenous people um, who are so overrepresented in, in the prisons. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're occupying their land and the dynamics identical. Um, so it's so easy to see situations like this unfold and why you've got 7,000 Palestinians behind bars in Israel. Absolutely. I think it's really important to, to note the similarities between, you know, the colonization here and how that's affected indigenous people. Um, I'm not obviously indigenous in any way, but I grew up um, with, with many, many um, and black friends um, in, in London and, um, listening to what they said was really um, important because it it really solidified um, the the deaths in custody, the abuse, the 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 police um, aggression. Um, the difference between that and here is the colonization, the massacres, the ethnic cleansing, the racist laws, the the dispossession, the taking of children, the 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 attempt to erase the culture and, and, and the very existence as a, as, as a culture of people. Um, and, and I think we're seeing that in Palestine, but we're seeing it in real time as the actual ethnic cleansing and the actual massacres are happening. And that's really the difference between that here. It's mostly in the past. There are still black people being killed just for being Aboriginal or, or, or first nation by police. Um, but the difference between that and, and Palestine is we're actually seeing the colonization and, and, and ethnic cleansing in real time with real modern weapons broadcast live for the world to see. You know, we can't pretend that, you know, we would have helped Aboriginal people here and look at Palestine and say, oh, yeah, it's just a conflict. It's too complicated. They're both bad as many people are doing, it's not a tenable position. If you believe that Aboriginal people here, Indigenous people here, you can't justify what happened to them. I think you also have to look at Palestine and say, we can't justify what we're seeing in real time right now, the, the colonization of ethnic cleansing of this Indigenous group of people. And those things are really tied together, but we can do something to change it now while it's happening. Whereas we can only heal mostly, of course, it's ongoing as well for indigenous, but we can mostly heal and make it better for indigenous. But for Palestinians, we can actually stop it happening. You know, and that's really why the Palestinian issue is so important. It's almost like a testing ground for does human rights matter at all anymore? You know, we've got all these human rights that are supposed to be obeyed and, and apartheid supposed to be 
boycotted it is a legal obligation to be boycotted by every every corporation, every individual, and every government. And every individual has a legal responsibility to boycott apartheid, right? Uh, we've got human rights in terms of occupation, human rights in terms of return to our homes, and all of those are so blatantly ignored that actually does human rights matter at all anymore? Can they just be ignored whenever they feel like it? And the Palestine issue now is almost a testing ground really for does international law matter at all? If it does, it needs to be applied now because this is so blatant. It's so over the top that, that if, if we ignore it in, a, in, a, in an international law setting, actually international law just doesn't matter anymore because it is pointless. Absolutely. And there will be blowback from the Arab world, the hardline Islamic world. If the West fails to act on its principles and values and what it says it stands for, there will be comeuppance and that comeuppance will be an increase in terrorist activity uh, all across the Anglosphere. Um, so you have to, one way or another, uh, there we will be called to answer on the failure to, to act on these values. R really interesting, um, just with regards, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought there. Mm. It's gone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, mate, talk about solutions uh, for this. Like for me, like when I zoom out on all this, I look at, I look at really just the role of, of trauma in, in, in conflicts like this, um, you know, PTSD, let's say is, is the most common strain that really unites uh, Palestinian and Israeli people. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the, the problems with PTSD is that it's, it's much easier to exist in a state of perpetual conflict than in a state of peace. Like you're wired for conflict. Stress is an addiction. Uh, it, uh the, the conflict gives you purpose and meaning, um, having an other to fight. Like, and I look at the, the activities of the Likud party and I'm just like, these guys are just screaming, with a collective PTSD and, and there is this fight, this kind of holy fight, this righteous fight is what gets them through life. It's what gives them meaning. If you took it away, they'd just be left with themselves and their trauma and their pain. Um, so better to kind of project that pain onto uh, this evil other. And uh, the same could be said for Hamas and, and those um, in Palestine who are, you know, whether it be throwing rocks at Israeli soldiers or uh, shooting fucking rocket launchers over the wall. Like it's, it's the same mentality on both sides. So, and I, I look at the same um, themes in indigenous culture. Like it really is tr trauma at the root of it all. Why um, they end up incarcerated and why they end up in these awful uh, kind of conflicts of police and, and authorities, you know, what, another factor of PTSD is just the, the rejection of authority and, you know, depression, PTSD, those two things are perfectly intertwined. And um, one of the, the symptoms is just, yeah, rejecting authority, rejecting people telling you what to do, even if they're telling you to do the right thing, you just object to being told. So these are deep psychological wounds that need to be mended before we move on. And ironically, like Israel is on the very forefront, probably the home of 
like psychedelic assisted trauma therapy, like MDMA therapy uh, in particular, which has been shown to be the most efficacious for treating PTSD. Um, yeah, they were the pioneers of these trials and had an incredible success with it. I, mean, I think it's like two thirds uh, of people with PTSD are cured after just two therapeutic sittings. So in Australia now, we have a role here to play because we're the first country in the world to legalize um, psychedelic assisted therapy. The problem is uh, it's just been so slow to roll out due to various you know, bureaucratic uh, wheels turning in motion and whatever. So my view for a solution is, uh, you know, Australia... Uh, let's not export uh, military aid to Israel. Let, let, let's export, um, you know, battalions of trauma therapists to, to go into these communities uh, with this silly little compound, just a, a bunch of crystals in a fucking red and yellow cap uh, and, 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 and heal trauma on mass. I, I don't see any other solution. All the political solutions, I don't see it amounting to anything. It's all talk. Like, that that's not going to cure the the central nervous systems of the thousands of ravaged war ravaged trauma ravaged people in this region and all over the world i did remember what i was going to say and that was that um so the thing that concerns me when you talk about you know applying human rights to this situation is that there is a huge chunk of the the white uh colonial anglosphere population that just flatly believes that resource uh, resource and land theft is justified purely to uh you know buttress the fairly decadent lifestyles that we have in the west you know that that they, that they there's still so many people that consider arabs and indigenous people as less than or or savages and they just don't really give a fuck that their land's being stolen. And that concerns me because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like we, we no longer, it's not the 1940s anymore. You know, we have automation technology uh, we, that generates obscene abundance. There's no need to struggle for resources anymore. We fucking won as a species. We came up with a solution to these problems of scarcity, which is essentially what powers uh, land theft, this fear that we're going to fucking run out of stuff or uh, like we, we won. It's over. We don't have to fight over resources anymore. Like there's enough to go around. Isn't there? Well, it, it, I think it's really vital to, to separate like, you know, most people from, you know, they say that one out of every 200 or, or some people say out of one out of every 100 people is a psychopath, an actual psychopath, you know. Um, and so, yeah, if you ask the, the other 90, you know, 9.5 uh, percent of people, should we, you know, it, it, without the context and the, and the brainwashing, hey, should we go to this place and kill all these people and take all their resources, you know? without any context, the, the vast majority of people are going, no, like, like, no, actually, you know, we shouldn't do that. Like culture has moved. Like maybe 200 years ago, we'd go park our battleships somewhere and take whatever we wanted. And people would be like, bye, Jingo, let's do it. Right. But now 
you know, human beings have progressed so far that they have to lie like hell to make us believe this stuff. Whereas before we'd accept it and it'd be fine. And I think now, you know, we as a species, especially culturally, we're moving forward so fast, you know, we, we, um, we, we don't want discrimination and racism in many, many ways, in many forms. And we, we abhor, um, you know, injustice and, and all these things as a, as a, as a collective species. Uh, but, but that 100, one out of 100 or 200 people, they're not the same as us. They're not suffering from, from this kind of trauma. They're, they're, you know, Netanyahu is, and, 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 you know, I'm just picking on him, but there are just so many, uh, are, I believe, actual psychopaths. And they are making decisions from a place of, you know, power, greed, evil, you know, joy in, 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 in um, dominating. And so we have to be really careful of, of equating like human nature um, with the actions of these people and saying we're just them, you know, because we're so traumatized. I think that there is a distinction between the, the, the actions of people who are traumatized and they can do bad things. Of course they can and they can breed hatred and, and things like that. But I think that's sort of solvable in, the, in these ways that you're talking about you know, MDMA tune. By the way, there's a Palestinian um, a doctor right here where I live, who's a, an expert in, in psychedelic uh, treatment of people um, with depression and mental health issues. And he's absolutely incredible uh, human. Um, but yeah, we, I think we have to be careful to, to not diagnose the people who make decisions as just, you know, a traumatized uh, people who are making bad decisions. I, I think that their, their brain's makeup is very different to ours. And we see that in in all pyramid structures where, where the, these sort of groups of people are so attracted to the top of this pyramid and they'll only recruit from people who are like them. So you get this sort of revolving door of psychopaths um, getting to these most powerful positions. And, and our challenge is to um, not identify with them and create our own things our own grass movements like uh, information like what you're doing and create our own grass movements grass level movements um that that produce the kind of things that we want rather than just fight against them we need to produce for ourselves as well and I, and i think that's that's a vital way of coming through so if we want to produce healing then then that, that, then those things are amazing initiatives and 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 you know the the drugs are great i believe there's a uh, more MDMA, more MDMA per person is is consumed in Israel than in any other country. Correct. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. So you know those guys, they they know how to do that stuff. And, and who doesn't remember? Well, I do. Um, you know, taking MDMA and going, oh man, peace and love. You know, uh, you know, wanting to hug everyone and 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 just having that experience makes it possible to see another world. Yeah. Uh, and then and then Hamas kicks the door down to your music festival where you're doing that unopposed and ransacks the joint. How crazy, how convenient for for the Liquid Party. Yeah. Yeah. It's um it seems to be that the 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 you know the 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 peace movement um in israel um which is the most beautiful peace movement um is the least protected by the israeli military you know those guys are not people who are supported by the military they're people who are suppressed by the military um so the idea that 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 israel didn't 
perhaps protect them as well as other i mean it took hours this was like six hours later after they broke out wasn't it it was like mm. a very 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 long time they were like a last resort to protect or something like it's really it's not right i bet if there was like a settler headquarters anywhere near there or something they'd be like so much military sent there to protect them in a heartbeat honestly but we're just speculating i mean it's very convenient for netanyahu to boost his poll ratings it's very convenient that the community that oppose him are the ones that suffered so so horribly that from that atrocity and war crime that that that, that hamas committed uh inexcusable of course and and um you know the, it, it's just very the least very 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 convenient mm. Speaking of hidden motivations uh, and incentives, an incredible book's just hit the stands uh, by Clinton Fernandez, a former Australian intelligence officer and now professor of international and political studies uh, at the University of New South Wales. So I'm just going to read a review of this book um, from Arnold uh, Bertrand, who's a, yeah, just a, a, another kind of um, commentator, uh, but yeah, a, a savvy one. So, uh, this is what he has to say about, you know, this is applies to all of the, I guess we call them allies of America. Australia is one, Israel is one, but they've actually uh, kind of come up with a, a different name. They, they call it in this book, which is the title, a sub-imperial power. And uh, this is what Bertrand has to say. The book makes one of the best descriptions of the, quote, rules-based international order that I've read describing in detail how Australia isn't a vassal or a client state of the US, like many believe, but rather a sub-imperial power. What this means is that Australia, as well as other sub-imperial powers like Israel or the UK, are essentially the henchmen of the US's, the US's current imperial rule, tasked with preserving it in their respective regions, which means that as henchmen, they aren't so much victims of a hegemonic US rule, but instead feel they derive such disproportionate benefits from it that they're willing to go to the great length to help the US preserve this rule against the actual victims, those who disproportionately lose out from the order. One of the most interesting aspects of the book is how it departs from the theories of realism championed by the likes of John Mearsheimer or Stephen, Stephen Walt who assert that all states, regardless of culture, religion, social hierarchy, or political system, will act in the same way because they all prioritize survival and security above all else. They assert that given that maximizing power is the best way to survive in the international system, if they had the opportunity, all states would seek to become hegemons like the US is today or Imperial Britain was yesterday. Fernandez makes a very different case, which I actually think is a far better explanation of how the world actually works and of the historical behavior of various states. His point is that there's something unique about US geopolitics and that of Western colonial states before it in that they have these extremely aggressive characteristics, the impulse to subjugate and pillage others that actually often harm their security rather than safeguard it. And he explains this with the undue power the moneyed class has over the state in those systems of government, which is hard to deny if one looks at things historically. For instance, it is the East India Company that initiated the colonization and pillage of India, not the British state, 
that only came afterwards to essentially pacify growing rebellion in India so as to perpetuate the ongoing pillage. Or take a more recent example, the war in Iraq. It makes very little sense from an American security or survival perspective, but it makes eminently good sense from a US oil company or economic hegemony perspective. Or again, the current conflict in Gaza, which is extremely negative for American security as it generates busloads of hatred throughout the Muslim world against America and diverts American attention from more consequential geopolitical challenges. But it makes sense if you look at it from the standpoint of perpetrating a hegemonic system. In other words, Fernandez's point is that the key characteristic of the, quote, rules-based international order relates to the actual structure of the American or British, French, Australian, Israeli, etc., social and economic system, which seeks to enforce an order where the whole world is open to the penetration and control of their respective national moneyed classes, which is why the order is about hegemony and not about security and why the former so often comes at the expense of the latter. It's interestingly something that John Mearsheimer often laments about if you listen to him. Why would the US act in such foolish ways that go against what my realist theories recommend? Uh, Mearsheimer, by the way, just did a podcast with Lex Friedman that is an amazing listen and I recommend everyone to listen to. Uh, Mearsheimer was adamantly opposed to the war in Iraq warned for many years about the risk of a clash with Russia in Ukraine if we expanded NATO and keeps speaking out against the US's unequivocal support of Israel. And by doing so, Mearsheimer actually admits that realism doesn't quite explain the behavior of states and that his theories are therefore not quite right. Fernandez here offers an explanation that better predicts the actual behavior of the US and its sub-imperial powers. You cannot understand states' behavior if you limit yourself to a state-centric view. You also need to look at the unique characteristics of their political, social, and economic system. A last interesting point is that, given the fact he argues that states' political and economic systems play a key role in defining their geopolitics, Fernandez's book implies a prediction that as China's power rises, it will behave in a vastly different way than the US and its imperial henchmen. Given the Chinese system, it will undoubtedly seek to maximize its power, but this time it will actually be for its own security and survival and not to serve the interests of its moneyed class, and as such will behave in much less aggressive ways than the US. Again, interestingly, Mearsheimer kind of admits this too, because he repeatedly says, when I am in China, I'm amongst my people, as in they follow his realist theories much more faithfully than the US. We can already see the contours of this. It's absolutely obvious that the Chinese state isn't at the mercy of its moneyed class. Quite the contrary. China is not exactly a country where billionaires have an easy life. Same thing with respect to hegemony. China doesn't do military alliances. It doesn't have any foreign interference. It, it doesn't have any. It doesn't do foreign interference or coup d'etats. In fact, they haven't as much fired a single bullet abroad in over four decades. On the contrary, it seeks to create an order with indivisible security and mutual respect embedded in the system where it would ideally be the most powerful state, sure, but not for the purpose of pillaging or subjugating others, but because this guarantees its security and stability, which is exactly how it behaved for 1800 years when it was the most powerful state on the planet before the Industrial Revolution. It never went around trying to colonize and pillage the world, 
as it believed this would eventually come at the expense of its own security, much like it comes at the expense of American security and interests today. Instead, it sought relationships of trade and mutual respect that maximize security and stability over the long term. So, yeah. Uh, thoughts? I mean, well, about America, absolutely, yes. I mean, America, the US does things against the interest of their people um, constantly. As does yeah. Israel in this case. As does Israel, absolutely. Um, the 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 idea in in, in Israel's um, case is that the land that they are trying to steal from the Palestinian nation and and take um, comes with a price of Israeli uh, citizens, and they know that they are willing to to give up um, the lives and security of their their own citizens to fight a war stealing someone else's land. Um, but but America is a different thing. Um, you know, the the American politics is so ruled in this sort of plutocracy or oligarchy where where politicians really um, don't have the sort of power that we think that they might have. They 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 seem to me to be kind of like managers of a, of, of the the political wishes of the elites. Um, they they make decisions constantly that are bad for the USA um, as a state. Um, but they, these decisions are really, really good for certain corporations, um, which have, which wield an incredible amount of power in the U S. Um, and to analyze it, like, uh, I think Cenk, uh, Ugo, his, his name escapes me straight away from CNN. He used to work at CNN, uh, amazing Turkish guy who, um, he says that the MIT research shows that whoever raises the most money in America wins 97% of the time. So basically, whoever's got the biggest amount of money to spend on advertising is going to get into power. So as a politician, my job is to get as much money as possible. And the only way to do that is to already sell out to corporations, right? So the system is, is rigged in a way that my job as a politician is to do what you want so I can get the money to get voted in, okay? And then I'm going to spend that money with Fox News, with CNN, with whatever. So they're never going to talk about this system because it benefits them the most, which is why media is intrinsically uh, messaging for politicians, you know, because they spend all that huge amount of money with the media, right? So the media has no interest in, but it's part of this uh, system of control. Um so you can imagine, you know, I'm a politician, I want to be in power, so I have to raise lots of money and I want to spend it in media. And so we get this system, um, a broken system, which relies on politicians doing what they're told. Um, and, and what they're being told is to enrich and empower a very, very small class of people um, and corporations. And, and you know, the problem with corporations is they necessarily act like psychopaths. The, 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 the mental break up, the mental um, analysis of a corporation is a psychopath, um, if it were a human. Yeah, it's the cognitive dissonance between uh, this endless growth model on a finite planet. That that's how every corporation functions psychologically. They want to create dividends for their, their shareholders, uh, despite like endlessly. In, in otherwise the corporation folds it, it doesn't function anymore right but this is not possible because this is not the planet that we live on 
That's right. And and Noam Chomsky says this really, really well. He's he's like, this is not a, a, a system of just evil people making evil choices, right? The system itself, like, like he says, you know, JP Morgan is owned by this guy and he's got two options. One, he can invest in the worst kind of polluting fracking because it's the most profitable, right? The second choice he has is to resign and let someone else do it, right? <laughs> yeah, fuck! That's so true. Right? So it's not an individual problem, right? It's it's not these like little cabal of really evil people doing these really ridiculously evil things, right? It's systemic capitalism that will lead to a breakdown. It has to. It's unfettered. It can't, it can't not lead to a breakdown, you know? So that, and that's the, the problem we're facing. We, we, it's, it's not like, you know, there's, there's, you know, we have to take these horrible people away and then everything will be okay. No, we have to fundamentally um, center human rights and ecological rights at, at the center of all our decision-making. It's only when we do that, that we come up with good decisions, I feel. You know, if we make that the central policy of where all decisions come from, then we we have a way of being able to make decisions without the propaganda. You know, if a propaganda says this and it's it's against a human and ecological rights, then it's not the right thing to do. We have to just place that as a central point of all the decisions we make. Well said. And uh, I heard a, a, a Chinese commentator in uh, John Pilger's amazing film, must-see film, The Coming War with China, uh, make this point that the key difference between China and America, the political systems, is that in America, uh, the political system is subject to capital, capital rules. In China, capital does not rule. Uh, the What rules is, is this centralized communist government. Um, and so that's the difference. So Look, I'm not here to freaking justify uh, China's way of doing things, but you must also realize that like the coverage of this war, uh, like the coverage of uh, basically anything you care to name in this capitalist powered media paradigm that we're existing in, the coverage of China is also completely flawed and completely upside down. So uh, I really recommend as a start point, the coming war with China um, to, to better understand this supposed giant threat that we're dealing with. Um, speaking about, yeah, the, the, the import, like you mentioned just the importance of, of pushing back on this broken system. And that is something that you're actually involved in. Uh, you've done some time on blockades at Adani uh, and in Newcastle. Can you tell us a bit about that work? Yeah, uh, well, you know, I've always tried to be involved in the in the work, the most important work around. So, you know, in, in England, poll tax and 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 rights and and all that stuff, and that's carried on to here. Um, you know, the 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 activist community, um, you know, supports each other in many ways, and and many of us are not just like single issue people. Like we care about this one thing. No, we we care about um human rights and and eco environmental rights being central points so here in australia you know um engaging uh, against adani or, or coal is the most you know one of the most important issues alongside aboriginal um uh, first nations rights um is the 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 the, the central struggle of, of this but but that the when we fight against the corruption that allows, you know, environmental destruction, 
and the corruption that allows um, an unjust um, criminal system uh, to flourish. Um, it's that same corruption that we talked about, you know. Um, and so when you fight again for Palestinian rights, you're still fighting against that same corruption. You know, our battle is, is because it's a system, it's not just one thing. Um, our, our, our fights are intrinsically the same. We, we, are, we are fighting the same corruption. Um, and so it's, it's vital, I think, that, that activists support each other. They learn from each other. Um, and that that we're not just single issue issue people that we show up to support other activists in, in because they uh, also need our support because we're starting from a position of human rights and and environmental rights. So we we need to care about all types of oppression um, and we need to action that. And and um, and tomorrow night we're doing a an activist um, workshop um, learning. Um, activism skills from like legendary activists people who just were arrested the other day down in newcastle on the flotilla people who who have been teaching about activism people who have written books about activism and we're all going to get together and and learn the skills that we need and help each other with our different um things the greens will be there we'll um you know and and we'll we'll learn how to support each other and we'll learn skills from each other i think that's vitally important that we view all these struggles as this essentially the same, the same struggle. Mate, well done. I'm going to send you a cupcake because you just perfectly described intersectionality without using that word, which I think is a fucking stupid word that goes over the heads of every working class person. But essentially what you've said is that workers rights, Palestinian rights, uh, environmental rights, it's you're protesting against the same person, the same thing, the same system is responsible for the crimes against all these. So therefore we must unite uh, the resistance and, and, and we may as well, when we're protesting against one thing, we may as well protest against them all because it's the same fucking thing. Yes. And, and I think it's, 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 you know, people perhaps think that they're hijacking an issue if they talk about another issue at the same time. But I think it's important, like we always present, you know, West Papua, uh, East Sudan, like all, all, all these other uh, places um, as, as part of our family. And it's important that we message for all of them at the same time in terms of human rights. But, but also, you know, obviously the planet is completely, uh, uh, you know, one thing. So when we fight for that here, we also fight for it in Brazil, at the Amazon and, and, and Siberia that's, you know, logged to pieces and, and all those well, and the ocean, you know, these things are all, as you said, like completely tied together. And and the only way we can make progress is to all get behind the issues of each other. But I think it's it's it is there is that little thing where we we don't want to you know completely take a message away from one group. So we have to join them rather than put our message on top of their message. Yeah, mm. that's it, it just points to the fact that really what's needed is is more general strikes you know like uh don't tie it to, to any one of these causes they'll they'll figure it out the, the the strike is what important is what is important crippling uh economies is how you and, and corporations is how you you get your message across um in this system uh and, and that's what the uh 
the boycott, divest, and, and sanction movement is um, uh, that you know Roger Waters from Pink Floyd is one of the, the key advocates of that, and and that's uh, something that's aimed at uh, Israel and, and penalising uh, Israeli and American uh, and, and just basically Western corporations that that fund this kind of uh, activity. Mate, can you quickly? detail for us what went down in newcastle because uh i mean that's one of the, the spiritual homes of this podcast and it was pretty big time uh you know we saw activists who were like 97 year old working class iconoclasts uh getting arrested um so can you tell us a little bit about what that was about and and, and what the outcome was Sorry, I just got to plug in my thing. That's why I'm moving. Yeah, uh, actually, I'm I'm waiting to hear like more firsthand evidence from from you know people who were there on on Thursday. It was an incredible action. You know these these are the sorts of actions that um, inspire people. They tell our youth that this is a struggle that is important. That that, that people are willing to get up and get arrested. Um, it, it forces the media uh, to to not ignore the issue, to show how passionate some people about are about the issue. Um, it it actually uh, you know brings so much attention to these polluters, um, and these these sorts of actions are vital. I mean, they are um, the 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 sort of breach by which everyone can follow. And 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 um, and the, the the sort of guiding principles are um, just I I impeccable. Um, uh, the organisers organise in a way where where their 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 principles and their actions are always non-violent. Uh, everyone is cared for, um, and the rights of everyone involved, even the police and the uh, the workers, are always considered. These are uh, incredible, uh, peaceful um, actions that make a real concrete difference. And and bless that man, that the, the, the old the old guy, and 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 all the young people, and and all those people. Uh, to me, they they're, they're absolute heroes and legends, and and an inspiration. I think for for um, for the for for more people to follow, and 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 are vital. Um, uh, just being around a few of the people and having friends of friends in common, I know that these are incredible people who've done, you know, years of sacrifice um, to to you know try and save our planet and possibly our children and their uh, and their children's children's lives. You know, so they're, they're heroes uh, for me. Mm. And, and it's interesting to know some of these protest actions uh, are going down at the ports. You know, we're a big Island and the maritime union in this country uh, is right on the, the forefront of this intersectional fight. Uh, and I, you know, I really encourage people to rally behind the MUA and get in behind them. And uh, mate, don't poke the fucking bear. Don't, don't fuck with the Anzac spirit, man. Like, uh, yeah, we don't need reminding of the unscrupulous, murderous nature of British aristocrats in this joint uh, or, or colonial powers. We were a convict colony. We, it's, it's in our history that thousands of our family members were sent to die at Gallipoli for no good reason by aristocratic generals drinking tea and fucking eating scones. So, um, mate, you know, we have uh, the opportunity to, to set an example for the world here, uh, as we've done in the past. Uh, with Julian Assange and 
I mean, maybe this is uh, the world's karma, uh, the imperialists' karma that they they lock up one of our own uh, for doing nothing else than than telling the truth. Um, and maybe this sub-imperial power is about to throw off the shackles uh, and partner up with someone else in our region. Absolutely. And and you mentioned, you know, sending people to war, uh, Gallipoli, you know, against the Turkish people. I think it's important that, that not many people know that Palestinians fought alongside Anzac troops in World War One. We fought for your freedom. And in World War Two, we again fought for the freedoms, you know, uh, against the Nazis. Um, my grandfather served for the British. Um, and, and it's important to note that we fought for your freedom. And now we're asking you, after your governments have repeatedly uh, ignored, uh, broken their promises for our freedom, we're asking you now to fight for our freedom also, in the same way that we did for you, Australian people. And Australian people are incredible I, I love being here that 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 thing for battling for underdogs for the sense of fairness um uh, Australia, the the way australians would think of nurses and doctors and firefighters as heroes the the volunteering culture of, of australian society how, how so many volunteer for great causes to help other people this is a, a, a culture that, that, that I love for that. Like it's incredible uh, uh, am, am, amount of fairness and, 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 and support people. And I think, you know, many Australians don't realize they have that beauty in their culture and, and, um, and, it, and it's incredible to be part of and, and the environmentalism in, in Australia too. Um, and, and, and I think it, 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 it's, it's the divestment and boycott uh, is the most important thing that, that Palestinians are asking. We've been asking, we've been begging um, activists all over the world to engage in the boycott, because that's the, 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 the only non-violent way to really get through. You know, you mentioned earlier about how Palestinians and Israelis can come together and make the situation better. I don't think it's going to happen in that way. I think the only way it's going to happen is from outside pressure to pressure a, a real conversation. Um, at the moment, what we're we're not seeing that. Um, and and when you know when 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 football teams won't come to Israel, when academics won't go to Israel, when bands and musicians won't go to Israel, and that becomes a really big sustained thing. I think then the people of Israel will re realize, oh, you know, but perhaps perhaps we are the bad guys. And until they're forced, I think to see it in that way or at least some of them see it in that way i don't think we, the connection that we make between our people and and their people will be strong enough to to bring about change internally i think the boycott just like in south africa you know uh the boycott is is, is a divestment and sanctions movement is possibly the only way we're going to make those conversations happen in in, in any real way mate and a, a bunch of pro surfers including the two-time world champ Tom Carroll, including my hometown hero, Shane Haran, uh, at the pointy end of that action against South Africa over apartheid. And I've spoken to those guys and they've said that it, it's time again. The time has come again and it will be amazing to see uh, some World Tour athletes uh, take a stand for peace and dignity. Uh, and we're seeing it. You know, Tyler Wright, um, former women's world champ, like, you know, she's very much on the front foot with stuff like this. Um, and yeah, it really is incumbent upon us. I mean, 
yeah, to, to stand up against this. It, like it, it has to, it has to be, it has to be, because no one else is going to do it. And 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 an Australian's voice is worth what ten thousand Palestinians' voices, you know, like a Palestinian and hundred thousand American voices. Ah, those guys talk so much shit. The septic tanks, wow. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like like the privilege here in, in in Australia to be able to affect change. You know, that our voices are so powerful here. You know, uh, and, and Americans, of course, but but you know, we we a voice of a Palestinian in Gaza is is voiceless, and a voice of a of a, of a, of a Palestinian in the West Bank is tiny compared to the kind of power we have to affect change. We are so privileged here to have that. You know, and to be able to demonstrate, to be able to boycott, to be able to meet without repression. You know, we're the ones that can really make change. We really are. We're the change makers. You know, in 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 and and, and our ability to um, engage nonviolently, but but unshakably, um, is really the only thing that will will make a difference in Palestine and Israel, and 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 reduce the suffering, which is the absolute main thing. The suffering going on there is 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 so bad is is indescribable for 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 many people um living there and and I think we we have to keep that as a um as a thing to remember it's not when there's a, less violence that suffering is not reduced it's constant you know so we, we are really privileged and we're able to make these changes in, a, in an easy and non-violent way to engage in the bds movement is easy it doesn't take a lot of time it literally you just get you just send a letter to your super saying hey do you guys invest in this you send a letter to your bank saying hey do you guys invest in this you know you you, you just sign up to bds newsletter and if they say oh if they send you a message saying oh can you sign this 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 uh, petition for us just sign it man it takes like 30 seconds they don't spam you they just they, they they're very careful with not annoying people it's super easy thing to do you know the other thing people can do and and is is join apan which is the australian palestinian advocacy network and they're really the people that try and get policy here to change and and, and try and support the palestinian narrative to counter that demonization and, and othering of the palestinian nation and and the this sort of um almost supremacist narrative that, that an Israeli's life is worth so much more than a Palestinian's. You know, APAN is an amazing organization. I, I was at their um, annual general meeting last night um, by Zoom and, and, you know, they're incredible people who work tirelessly and, and, um, and those two organizations actually are, are, are the way that Australian activists um, can most easily and and um, really make a difference to to what's going on, and we absolutely implore everyone to engage in those two um, campaigns, those two organisations, and their campaigns. Unreal, Subi. Thank you so much for your time, mate, and your work and your service. Legendary. Oh, and yours. Like your podcast is awesome, dude. Like I've got lots of catching up to do, but it's just dope, and I'm so glad for for you doing what you're doing as you said independent media we we you know it is is a massive service to 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 social and environmental justice and and we appreciate you so much for your what you're doing bro it's just great work thank you brother take care i'll speak to you soon no doubt that concludes our chat with subi 
you might have heard us discussing some out-of-the-box trauma therapy solutions to this problem. Well, it just so happens that the greatest trauma therapist on the planet uh, is a Jewish man and Holocaust survivor, Dr. Gabor Mate. Now, here he is speaking not on the topic of trauma, but on the topic of Israel. Israel's right to defense. Yes, Israel has the right to defend itself. Every country does. But Israel has no right to impose an occupation on people. Now look, I was born in Hungary. In 1956, when I was 13, studying for Bar Mitzvah, there was the great Hungarian revolution against Soviet occupation. And uh, it was after that revolution that we became refugees and came to Canada. Now did Russia have the right to defend itself against the Hungarian revolutionaries? You know, so the, and, and mostly when we talk about Israel's right of defense, we're taking isolated Palestinian actions, but we're not saying that this population also has the right to defend against, against the occupation. I'm not justifying the, the terrible events of October the 7th. I'm talking in the absence of historical awareness. It all just looks like Israel defending itself. But against whom? against the population that has been massacring in a number of thousands for 80 years and taking their lands and destroying their homes and jailing their children and torturing them. That's the history. Now, unless we know that, it all looks like this poor little country trying to defend itself. But against whom? Against people that's been occupying and displacing for 80 years. That's the history, as Israeli historians have shown. I don't make this stuff up. I wish it wasn't true. I wish I could believe in the dream of the Jewish state. I love that dream, except I found out at what price, at what nightmare that imposed on the Palestinians. And finally, a young African-American woman speaking on a panel about the prospects of peace and abundance. It's all there and waiting for us. The question is, how bad do we want it? The world is filled with way too many bright people for us to still have the problems that we have in the world. It's, it's going to be our shame, you know what I mean? That we don't sit together and create people who invest with thought and consideration and care to solve the world's problems. If we can do all these things, all these things that we do digitally, technologically, economically, we can feed people, we can, we can educate people through poverty. We can solve the problems of poverty. Poverty isn't even something that should exist in this world at this point. But we have the ability now to see the resistance, acknowledge it for what it is, and go beyond it, and go past it. We have the answers. We have so many of the answers. We have the technology. We have the wealth. We just have to be willing to share it. And in order for us to do that, we have to do the work in and on ourselves so that we can be conduits of change and improvement for other people. Because that's really what it's about. We have the ability. I think it just takes courageous folks, you know, who are not afraid to see the new world that's on the horizon. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Let it go. Ooh, yeah. Let it go. Yeah. Go. Hi, this is Arnold. Don't mind. Just go. You're in Don't mind. Just Down. Go. Up. Yeah. Down. Let it go. Down. Ooh, yeah. Let it go.